This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hi, everybody. It's Phil Mackey, along with Derek Wetmore, the uh, Purple Argyle King in Hello. this podcast room, That's right. for another episode of the Touch 'Em All podcast. And boy, do we plan on touching all of them today. All of them will be touched by us. Twins topics. That That's is. right. Uh, before we touch all of the topics and dive into the other things Derek learned from the winter meetings about the Twins and their front office, which we didn't get to all of that in last week's episode, we encourage you and or beg you. Uh, literally on our knees begging you to uh, follow us, like us, subscribe, whatever whatever term you want to use. On Facebook, we have facebook.com slash 1500ESPN. We have facebook.com slash Phil Mackey Radio. And we have facebook.com slash Derek Wetmore's Sweaters. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, what is yours again? <laughs> I do have sweaters, but that's a different podcast. Derek Wetmore MLB is the one I want people to follow here. Okay, so check those out. Uh, so last week, our plan was to do the five things you learned from Washington, D.C., being in a room with all kinds of baseball people, executives from multiple teams, and getting face-to-face access uh, with the new Twins front office, Thad Levine and Derek Falvey. I think we got through like one and a half yeah. items. So, <laughs> right, yeah. so start us off. This is kind of a to-be-continued episode. Sure. The, uh, the other things you learned from your experience at the winter meetings. Quick rehash the first two, and they are on the last podcast. If you're interested in those, please go check that out. The Twins are willing to be patient. That was the top one that we talked about, and we also talked a lot about the White Sox rebuild. Those were my first two thoughts. Thought number three, so moving right along that five thoughts column, is that the Red Sox are going for it. And you could also say that the Nationals are going for it. And you could also say that the Dodgers are going for it. And this dovetails into something that we talked about on the radio earlier today, Phil, about the window of the super competitive teams. Remember, that's one of the topics we kind of got into, that there's sort of two different windows in terms of MLB postseason and World Series. There are some teams like, I'll put the Cleveland Indians in this category. Uh, Maybe that's a bad example because they went to the World Series. But there there are these teams that are just sort of built to be postseason teams and maybe some weird stuff happens in October and they go to the World Series or they win it all. And then there are these super teams. There are the Chicago Cubs. There are the Los Angeles Dodgers. There are now the Boston Red Sox and the Washington Nationals. It's The thing we talked about on the show is that teams are being hyper-aggressive when they feel like they're in this window. And we kind of talked about it with Judd about, he said, well, what does the Adam Eaton trade say for you? They traded a, you know, a guy is a good outfielder, but nothing more than that. And I said, hold on. Adam Eaton's like a quiet star. And so we disagreed on that a little bit, but we agreed on the basic premise of the Nationals, who were already a great team now, like in the present, they traded for another now piece, and they gave up pieces that could potentially have made their future brighter too. And I think it just goes to show you, the Red Sox are in this same conversation with their good young players. They felt like they could trade some prospects. The Nationals 
just basically are, are, are saying, yeah, we're a World Series team right now. We have Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, go on down the list, and screw you, we're also going to add Adam Eaton. I don't care about the prospects. I don't care about Lucas Giolito. Did they overpay? Maybe. But if they win a World Series or two hmm. World Series, I think that's where the conversation is starting to shift. That's maybe what this third sh- thought should have been. There are these super teams that are just willing to go for it. The Red Sox are on that list. Yeah, and and I, I don't know what it is, too, about uh, the evolution of prospects, but it almost feels like teams are grooming, not all teams, teams in the top 10-ish payrolls in baseball. So you see this, the teams you just mentioned, Cubs, Nationals, Red Sox. It's almost like they're grooming prospects specifically to put them on the trade More block trades. now, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going we're gonna to lift this guy up to double-A, triple-A. Now, some of them, Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, yeah, you can go up and down. You're going to keep some of them because, or Javier Baez if you're the Cubs. Sure. Although, I bet you there was a time where maybe even earlier this season where if, because Javier Baez did not start the year as a starting middle infielder for the Cubs, where maybe they would have traded him too. But uh, you're definitely not like some of the, mid to small market teams, the Twins, the Pirates, the Indians, where maybe you make a big splash at the deadline, and the Twins have never really done this outside of the Matt Capps, Wilson Ramos trade. But for the most part, you're hanging on to that currency because your lifeline is prospects. For a multi-year run of 90 wins and playoffs, you need to not only groom the prospects, but plug them in and they start for you because you can't afford to go up to $180 million payroll, $200 million payroll. I'm really fascinated the way the way we view prospects has evolved. And uh, look, I am biased in this, and I can only come at it from my worldview, so I want to ask your opinion. And that's, I used to pay much closer attention to prospects. Like, I was the Fangraphs nerd who on, and I say that endearingly, Fangraphs nerds, um, in high school, like, other people were at, uh, man, this is going to sound way worse than actually. I was going to say other people were at baseball practice, and I was on Fangraphs.com or BaseballReference.com. Um, That's really embarrassing. I know, I know, and I, I should walk that back because I actually did play high school baseball, just not well. I was not a good player, but I was I was interested in this stuff, and I I bet you there was a time, Phil, that I could have told you and, and at least given some partial opinion on each prospect in the top 10 list for every organization like you'd say the nationals and i wouldn't give you the top 10 list off the top of my head but if you asked me what i thought about their number five prospect i'd have like i'd at least know who you're talking about i'm nowhere near that involved anymore i don't follow this stuff as closely i just i i pay much much more attention to major league baseball now than i did at that time but so this this is where i want to go with this conversation before we get on to the next thought Prospects, to me, used to be the lifeblood. They were the gemstone to be guarded at all costs. It was you build up an organization, you try to get your Kyle Schwarber, your you know Chris Bryant, your Anthony Rizzo, your Addison Russell, and your Javi Baez. Well, they just traded Jorge Soler, so you can't put him in this mix anymore. But you try to get all those guys to surface at or around the same time, and you win when they are young, cost-controlled, potential superstars. That might only happen once every 20 years for a franchise. It rarely happens. The Royals just did it, and they're already starting to disassemble it. They traded Wade Davis, although I think what you could argue is they're just sort of retooling on the fly. They're going to go get at a good young outfielder DH, Jorge Soler, for Wade Davis. If you had questions about his health, potentially, and you still like your bullpen without him, 
I mean, he might have just added a good young player for six years. Anyway, that that's not the conversation. The conversation to me is I used to think you're crazy if you trade prospect. If you give up Lucas Giolito, I don't care how good a player you get back. What if he's you know a six-win pitcher for the next six years and you could have had him for $500,000, $500,000 down the list? He would have been very affordable. He'd have been a superstar. I think it was right around the time that I started paying a little less attention to prospects too. I started realizing, hold on, I was maybe just inside this little bubble, right? I was maybe in this little prism of I pay a lot of attention to the Matt Laportas of the world. So I think, uh, you know, or the Lorenzo Cain, Alcides Escobar trade was Zach Granke went to the Brewers. I, I remember – being like, man, no, the prospect price is just so high. You're having to give up so many of these players. And I remember when it flipped for me, too. I read a Jeff Passan column on Yahoo. He's my, probably my favorite baseball columnist right now. He basically said, for all you prospect wonks, and I consider myself among you, who think that this is a crazy trade. Maybe it was Granky, Maybe it was some other ace. But it's trading hands for prospects. For all of you prospect wonks, just know Major League General Managers, basically to a man, all of them, are saying prospects are great. We love prospects. We want to build around prospects. But if you can get an ace, you get an ace. Well, okay. I'll, let me let me pause this because I love this thread. That's my whole point. And and I, I want to take you back to 2005. I'm just I'm picking an arbitrary year where we can we have enough time now, going back almost 17, almost uh, 12 years. To really to, careful on the math there, man. Yeah, <laughs> we, we're going to go back forty-seven yeah, years right. to two thousand five, <laughs> yeah. where so we we know the if you were drafted even as an eighteen-year-old in two thousand five, well now you're almost thirty. So uh, time has evolved enough to where we know who the busts are, we know who panned out, who didn't. Okay? okay, if you're wondering how much you should clutch your prospects and how much you should value your prospects when in discussions for a Brian Dozier, if you're the Dodgers or uh, a Chris Sale or whoever, pick whichever established all-star player. All right, I'll start with the draft. This is just the June entry draft, the first round in 2005, okay? Of the 49 picks, including the comp picks, the sandwich picks, the supplemental picks, uh, including those guys, so 49 picks in the first round and or the between first and second round picks, how many of those 49 players, would you guess, have tallied in the last 12 years at least 10 wins above replacement for their careers. Hey, this is Ben Gessling, the Vikings beat writer for ESPN. If you're into the Vikings and you're not already listening, make sure you check out the Purple Podcast on 1500 ESPN. Judd Zolgan and I break down the Vikings every week, tell you everything you need to know about the team. You can check us out on Podcast One, iTunes, or 1500ESPN.com. Okay, so we're talking guys at the very top of the draft. Generally, they're pretty much ushered on to top prospect lists. Top prospect lists, hit or miss. But 10 wins is a lot for lottery tickets. Like, a 10-win player over six years is not that impressive. No. But when you count about the body of work, uh, or the, the body of the sample, so a number of 49 players, I'm going to guess... That six players of top ten wins. It's thirteen. Okay, so, so you undershot right, it. You overthought it a little bit. I was there. on the right path. Yep, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Over th- you're overthinking. You're you're uh, devaluing my game here. That's fine. Yep. No, and the and the thirteen players are Ryan Braun, Troy Tulowitzki, Andrew McCutcheon. So there's a good chance that oh man, they want our top prospect from the draft in 2005. If it's like 2007, 
um, well, Ryan Braun is, we really like him in double A right now. Well, there's a chance that he might turn out to be Ryan Braun. And, he, and that's and, the scary part. Alex Gordon, Ryan Zimmerman, Jacoby Ellsbury, Justin Upton, Colby Rasmus, Jay Bruce. Then, then even like among the 13, it starts to get to Clay Buckholtz. Matt Garza, Cameron Mabin, Cliff Pennington, 11 wins above replacement the last 10 years. Ricky Romero was really good for a couple years. Pelfrey, Jed Lowry, and pretty quickly, hmm. it devolves into 30 guys you've never heard of. Right, right. Or only heard of because they were flamed out prospect. I have another list, too. Okay. Along I'm... the same thread of what, what should you be willing to give up if you're looking to get that big-time stud pitcher or that, that all-star hitting second baseman, right? The 2005 Baseball America Top 100 list. This is the one I was more curious about. Okay. We're not talking draft picks. We're Correct. talking guys who are legit prospects. Yeah, so some of these guys might be in double and triple A. That's awesome. so, so it's two different things. You beat the, me to the pass. Here's the Baseball America Top 100. And I haven't even looked at this. I'm going to go down the list. Okay. We'll just go down. We're Real not going to go all 100. But um, but if you were, let's, let's assume all of these guys are sort of unknown but highly touted, yeah. much like if Byron Buxton was at the top of this list last year, right? You're... If somebody offered you Chris Sale, but you got to give up Byron Buxton, well, on this list in 2014 or 15, Byron Buxton is a concept, right? That's so right. what percentage of those, it's all a percentage game. It's never, we think Matt Laporte is not going to pan out. It's what percentage of the time <laughs> does Matt Laporta pan out? What percentage of the time does Byron Buxton pan out? And if the percentage is something other than 100, then you should be willing to trade him, right? And if it's closer to like 50 or 30, then you should be even more willing to trade him for an established star player. Can I throw in some my like math conceptual thinking before we get to your list? Because I think about this the same way I do about scoring points in basketball. And I, I didn't really think this way until college and I started reading plays like Nylon Calculus and stuff like that. And, and I'm less interested in that now. I just follow Major League Baseball so much more closely than the NBA. But the idea of like point theory where all right Steph Curry shoots a corner three even that's not worth three points every time he just releases the ball it's worth something like 1.8 points or two points see now now you're getting into how sabermetrics are calculated and so this is what I'm talking about with prospects though you said and and you know maybe you just misstated it or maybe we genuinely disagree here when you said if there's a if there's a percentage below 100 that Matt Laporta hits, you should be willing to trade him. I don't agree with that. I would take the percentage likelihood that he hits. Let's say, I mean, Matt Laporta is a bad example because everyone's just going to bias it with the fact that they well, know well, he's not a player. Let's say it's 90. Let's, well, here, let's use Byron Buxton. This makes it more interesting for me. Let's say there's a 90% Byron Buxton's like a star, like a 5-9 to nine win player over the next six years, e- each year. But there's like you know we've seen some we've seen some chinks in the armor too right I mean there's a chance non-zero although I'll argue not very great that he's like a fourth outfielder that he's just a bench player or at best his defense is so great that you can afford terrible offense and he's a the below average starting center fielder I would try to take that percentage chance that he hits multiplied by what the top level would be and that's his new value. So his value to me isn't then, what, 25 wins over the next five years. It's 21 wins or okay, something like okay, that. Explain I just, it again. So, so I take the percentage that I think— When you say that he hits, you mean that he becomes a good player or that, that he that, actually That he hits. connects on being okay, a good player. Okay, okay, okay. Right. So. <laughs> that he's a star-caliber center fielder who can bat at the top of the lineup or hit third or hit fifth, and he's just great. He's just the star around which the Twins are built. 
totally possible. So then I try to take the what's the percentage chance that that happens, which well, I think after September is maybe more. It's more than fifty percent. Let's say it's like like two thirds chance or something. So let's call it that. So I'd take what I think of him over the next five years and multiply it by two-thirds, and that's my new value. If what I'm getting back in a trade is greater than that number, I'm willing to entertain the trade. But it doesn't mean I'm for sure going to deal him just because he's not a guaranteed right, but the, hit. But, the, but, we, but I think we, we sort of agree. Let's, let's say it's 90. Pro- probably if, do, if, we do. If it's 90%, it's never black and white is my point. And I think we're, you know, we're debating the shades of gray here. And I'm going to get to this list because we've just digressed, but I like this path. <laughs> That's right. If, it's, if there's a 90% chance that Byron Buxton succeeds, but the math works out to where the thing that you're trading for, which you would never know that it's 100%, so you'd have to do some digging on this, because Chris Sale, even though it's 100% that if he's healthy, he's going to be an awesome pitcher, elbows exist, right. and, and uh, they, have, they are ticking time bombs and mm-hmm. things like that. But you know, if, you're, if your goal, if the Twins were better and they had some outfield depth, and the, even if they knew that Byron Buxton was an 80 or 90% chance to pan out over the next six years, but right now the window is open to win a World Series and you just need Chris Sale to really push you over the top and you feel like the gap between your number five starter and Chris Sale is a much more important gap to fix than the gap between your next outfielder and Byron Buxton, right? Okay. So there's, you could talk yourself into right. different, different ways to, uh, to make that trade. These are all hypotheticals because I just gave you a scenario in which the Twins were ready to win a World Series. And that so. they're willing to trade Byron Buxton. <laughs> right. I think neither of those is happening in the short term. Right. So, okay, here is the Baseball America 2005 Top 100 Prospect list as far down as we want to go. Well, here are, the, here are the players that are just concepts at the time. Joe Maurer was number one on the list. I would say he panned out for a 10-year period pretty darn well. Hall of Fame 10-year chunk. We'll see if he gets in. Felix Hernandez was number two on this list. Remember, if you're going to trade Chris Sale or you're going to trade Brian Dozier or somebody like that, you're looking for, ideally, a top 25 Baseball America prospect if you can get your hands on one, right? Sure. And here's the roulette game. The third guy on this list is Delman Young complete bust he yes. had he had one or two good seasons otherwise he was a bench bat and a, and a clubhouse uh, wacko number th- number four ian stewart another bust remember that guy from the yes, rockies I do. third baseman first baseman mm-hmm. number five joel guzman shortstop dodgers okay al scout quoted as saying he's juan gonzalez waiting to happen well we're still waiting yeah, 12 years later. Number six on the list, Casey Kochman. Yeah, I remember Casey Kochman. So the, the busts in the top six outweigh the studs 4-2 to two right now. That's right. But in, in 2005, if you were looking to acquire a veteran, I'm trying to think of who the veteran studs were in 2005 that might have been available, like Manny Ramirez. Well, if the Red Sox are going to trade Manny Ramirez to the Colorado Rockies in 2005, they're going to want Ian Stewart as the centerpiece of that package. And we should say, too, this is an important backdrop. This is not to denigrate Baseball America because I Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, for sure. I personally think they do a terrific job with all this stuff. Yeah, I hope that's clear. This what this point underscores is that even the best, even the the best publication. Okay, maybe is there an organization that values prospects better than BA? It's possible. But but More importantly, even their list— doesn't pan out. It's a their lists game. reflect what teams think because right. they do. While they do their own scouting in some ways, they're talking to teams, they're talking to scouting directors, and they're yep. piecing together these lists based on the opinions of teams. And so, if that's the case, the opinions of teams also match up in trade talks. So let's keep going here. Scott Casimir, seventh on this list, okay. a stud for a couple of years, had some injury issues, ineffective. He's kind of back now. Um, kind of a weird case. 
Ricky Weeks is eighth. He was good for a while. He's been he's been around for about ten years. But if you got Ricky Weeks as the centerpiece of a trade, you'd probably be feeling disappointed. Yeah. Andy Marte is ninth, former third base prospect right. with the Braves, a complete yep. bust. Hanley Ramirez tenth, and then you get to one of the all time busts. Lastings Millage is eleventh oh, on this list. Okay. Dallas McPherson is twelfth. So um, Frank Coor is fourteenth. Bust. Adam Miller is 16th, bust. Jason Kubel, 17th, not a bust, but just injuries. and So I get, I get why prospects are important for building a team, but you nailed it before. When, if you're looking to put together like the Twins did in the early 2000s or like the Royals did a few years ago, that perfect pipeline where five to eight to ten guys all kind of come up, and you're going you're gonna to push for that throughout the entire time they're developing – most of them are going to fall by the wayside percentage-wise. There's, there's such a slim chance, maybe once every 20 to 30 years, that a franchise aligns the stars like the Royals did and like the Twins did 15 years ago. Yeah. And leverage, leverage the concepts for proven commodities if you're able to. I totally agree with that, and yet it, I'd be so scared to push Lucas Giolito across right? the but, table. But, but right? I just gave you the I evidence know. here, right? Like I know. This is a coin flip at best yes. that Lucas Giolito yes. is going to pan out. But, you know— we t- we can talk a lot about the percentages and the busts and things like that, but if you get Joe Maurer back in a trade, you're feeling really great about that trade. If I could trade one year of my ace pitcher, and I know he's going to go sign somewhere else when his contract's up, and I can get Joe Maurer for the next 10 years, or yeah. s- six years, I guess, in this case, because you'd be talking about the team control, that's like that. That's the downside. That's the risk. That's what people are all talking about, whether it's um, – Moncada from the Red Sox or Giolito from the Nationals or Kopech was in one of those trades. There are just names that prospect wonks, I'll continue to use that phrase, are like, oh, my God, I can't believe they moved them. You could regret that so much. And, and, those, and those prospect wonks in 2005 were looking at, were looking at 18 through 23 on the list, for instance, Tampa and Bay saying, trade why would the Marlins ever trade Jeremy Hermida? Sure. How could the Rays think about trading Jeff Neiman? Yeah, the Cubs, you're not going to trade Brian Doparak, are you? I get it. I the Rockies, it. that Jeff Francis is going to be a stud someday. Yeah. Uh, what about the Brewers, that Jose Capilon? Oh, I man. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but Ryan Braun could have been on that list just as well. That's true. Well, why would the Royals trade Alex Gordon? Well, they shouldn't. Why would 1500 ESPN and Podcast One ever <laughs> trade Derek Wetmore and Phil Mackey? Well, I'd probably just DFA at that point. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, Roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.